This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. You're listening to Facing Evil, a production of iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show and do not represent those of iHeartRadio or Tenderfoot TV. This podcast contains subject matter, which may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Facing Evil. I'm Rasha Pecorero. And I'm Yvette Gentile, and today we're talking about the case of Annalise Michelle. That's a name you might not know, but it's a case you probably do know a lot about. Yes, this is a case involving a real-life exorcism. And while it took place after the infamous movie The Exorcist, which I never saw because I'm a big scaredy cat, it inspired three documentary films, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Requiem, and Annalise, The Exorcist Tapes. And as that last title implies, these exorcism sessions were actually recorded. There is audio of the priests as they were trying to drive out the evil spirits that they believed were possessing Annalise Michelle. And full transparency here, I know little to nothing about exorcisms, especially being agnostic. So looking at this as a case is just feels so far removed from reality for me personally. And we will analyze some of that today as we talk with Father Carlos Martins, director of the Treasures of the Church Ministry and an official exorcist. We'll talk about what really happened to Annalise Michelle and how this exorcism led to her death. But first, our producer Trevor is going to walk us through today's case. There are many people who laugh at the notion of demonic possession or even the reality itself. But the Catholic Church does teach that evil is a reality and it is personified in the person of the devil. Annalise Michelle was a 23-year-old woman from Germany who died after a series of failed priest-led exorcisms in 1976. She was born in Leibelfing, Bavaria, in West Germany, to a devout Catholic family. Supposedly, Annalise and her sisters were not allowed to play outside with other children, and instead spent most of their time praying inside. At the age of 16, Annalise experienced her first seizure. The next year, she had yet another and was diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy, 
A chronic nervous system disorder in which recurrent seizures take place, usually lasting a couple of minutes. Shortly after this, she was diagnosed with depression and psychosis and was treated at a psychiatric facility. At the facility, she had another seizure and was prescribed the anticonvulsant Dilantin, after which she began describing seeing, quote, devil faces frequently. However, the medications did not help with her seizures or her strange visions. In 1973, she went to the University of Würzburg, where her classmates described her as, quote, withdrawn and very religious. Some classmates described one occasion where they found her in a trance-like state with her arms outstretched dramatically. But she also began hearing more menacing voices, telling her she was damned and that she would, quote, rotten hell. Around this time, she said someone else was manipulating her and that her will was not her own. She also became intolerant of crucifixes and other sacred Christian objects and places. She told a family friend that she was unable to enter a Christian shrine during a religious pilgrimage the two took together to Italy, and that the soil around the place, quote, burned like fire when she attempted to walk on it. The friend concluded that Annalise was suffering from demonic possession. Annalise and her family were convinced of this as well. And at first, priests refused her pleas for an exorcism, recommending that she instead continue her psychiatric treatment. They also said they needed the bishop's permission to perform an exorcism. But her condition worsened, and in September of 1975, Bishop Joseph Stongel granted Father Ernst Alt and Father Arnold Renz permission to perform an exorcism on Annalise. But they were ordered to total secrecy. Over the next 10 months, the two priests performed 67 exorcism sessions at the rate of about twice a week. Each lasted about four hours, and 42 of these sessions were recorded. Annalise had to be tied down for many of the sessions as she tried to bite and harm the men. In the last few months of the exorcisms, she refused food and rapidly lost weight. On June 30th, 1976, Father Renz performed the final exorcism. By now, she was severely emaciated, had pneumonia, and was running a high fever. Her final words to the priest were, quote, request for absolution, end quote. But her final words to her mother were, quote, mother, I'm afraid. On July 1st, 1976, Annalise Michelle died. The cause of death was malnutrition and dehydration. Father Alt and Father Renz believed her exorcism was successful because she died after the demons were driven out of her. Later that year, the priests and parents were charged with negligent homicide. The trial was a massive media sensation, and the priests were eventually convicted, but only given suspended prison sentences. And so, what happened to Annalise Michelle? Who was responsible for her death? And what does this story tell us about the complicated intersection between religious and medical approaches to mental illness? So today we are lucky to be joined by an expert in the field of exorcism. You may have recently heard his voice on the new iHeartRadio podcast, The Exorcist Files. With us now is Father Carlos Martins, Director of the Treasure of the Church Ministry and an official exorcist on two continents. Welcome, Father Martins, to Facing Evil. Thank you very much. It is a pleasure to be here with you. We're honored to have you here, Father Martins. Yes. 
So, Father, I just have to say I'm Catholic. Um, I've been married for 16 years, and my husband and I have an amazing father, Father Armin, in our life. And I remember asking him the question, when did he get that calling, you know, to be a part of the ministry? And he told me, he said, Yvette, it was when I was probably seven or eight that I just knew. So can I ask you, when did you first get your calling to be involved with the ministry work that you do and eventually do exorcisms? Yeah, well, I guess for me, I was not as young as uh, your priest was. I'm a convert from atheism. So I I converted in my 20s. I was a college student at the time. And after that conversion occurred, uh, I got the call to the priesthood about seven years later. So in, in 2003, I was on a retreat and, and I, I heard the proverbial voice of God. And he said, Carlos, join the priesthood. I promise to make you very happy. And so I did and uh, was ordained a priest about six years later. And when I was assigned to the first church uh, that I was placed in, the priests that were on staff there were the diocesan exorcists. And they were just so busy with oppression and possession cases with individuals that when something of a lesser nature would come in, like the infestation of a house, uh, demonic phenomena happening within a place, they just turned to me and said, Deacon, go get rid of the devil. So Hmm. I didn't have any training at that point, and so I, I, I would not advise this to be the the normal course of affairs for someone uh, to be thrown in a situation. But that was my situation. And what I knew, though, is that if the devil is in a place, then there's going to be signs that reveal that presence. So there's going to be proof, if you will. And if the devil is in a place and we can determine that through proof, then he's there for a reason. In other words, a door was opened to him. And so that door has to be closed. What I preach on all the time, what I've, what I've developed some notoriety for saying is this. The job of the exorcist is not to cast out the devil. Hmm. The job of the exorcist is to find out why is the devil there? Uh. What rights has he obtained? And it's the exorcist's job to then, knowing once those rights are known, to work with the victim to rescind those rights. Once the rights are rescinded, then the devil must leave. Then the devil can be cast out. But until that is done, uh, the devil has every right to stay. He's obtained the rights to stay. So most people in their mind understand exorcism falsely uh, to be an enterprise where On the one side, you have a demon or demons, and on the other side, you have a priest, and they kind of do battle with one another, and whoever's the most powerful wins. And and that that is nowhere near what the case is. Hmm. One has to find out which was the doorway by which the devil entered where he is. Then that doorway has to be closed, and then he can be evicted. So, Father Martins, I'll, I'll be quite honest, I was not raised in the Catholic Church. However, I am born and raised in Honolulu, and I respect 
the Hawaiian culture more than you can possibly know. And so when I think of things like exorcisms or what you do, I think of our Hawaiian kahunas or our Hawaiian kahus who will go into homes and bless homes or if something sad has happened or anything like that, they go and and they just give ho'oponga'i blessings. But with all of that being said, I would love to know more. What's the history of exorcism? Does it go like as far back as when the Bible was first written? I, I would love to know the history of it. Heavens no, it, it far predates that. Um, it, the Romans practiced it before them. The Greeks practiced it. Certainly the Jews did. Mm. But in, in every historical culture, in every culture that history can study, there appears to be the process of exorcism. There, there appear to be mm. people mm. whose mm. task it is or who are willing to take on the a foreign spirit manifested as as a different a radically different personality that is all of a sudden inhabiting somebody who is known and that typically that inhabitation uh, is marked by a certain number of characteristics which all of all of which are are out of the character of the person so a particular violence uh, an aversion to any goodness, to truth, to beauty, to goodness, a knowledge of hidden things, uh, a knowledge of occult realities, or the occult, uh, the meaning of occult being the, the most broad meaning, meaning that which is hidden, that, that mm -hmm. which they couldn't possibly know. And included with that would be a speaking of a language or language is that they were never taught. So there clearly is something different that is not from the individual himself or herself that is now present. A foreign spirit is now present. Huh. And so there are different ways in which different cultures, and I, I mean all of them, uh, Japanese culture, Chinese culture, the mm -hmm. different African cultures and so forth, that they would deal with that. I mean, you mentioned your own in the Hawaiian culture. You have yeah, kapuna. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Exactly. So you mm -hmm. have a kapuna that would come over and would conduct some ritual. The intention of which would be to clean the place, to clean right. someone right. or a place. Right. Mm -hmm. So that is ingrained in the human nature. That hey, we've we have these enemies that are not physical; they're spiritual. And yet we, we want to combat them. So this drama is very much a part of the human story. It's, it's been there from the beginning and it continues. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. 
Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. You know, Father, you were telling us the story of, you know, earlier of how you got into the ministry and you were kind of you know, you were sent to this house. From that point on up until now where you're at today, did you or do you still have to go through any type of training when you do these different types of, you know, exorcisms? Well, I attend conferences regularly, but it's not really for the sake of training. I'm, I'm in fact, a trainer of exorcists now. Okay. Oh. Um, now, that being said, it's always possible to learn something new or to gain an insight from your colleagues, especially when you have colleagues as good as I do. I, I really mm-hmm. respect the other exorcists with whom I work or with whom I'm friends. Uh, they're smart individuals. They have great insights. They're hardworking. And they're, they're committed people who love the Lord. And, and equally, they love the victims, the people who are ensnared. Mm. So, so those people need to be loved. And, and we're doing this as an effort to rescue them and to aid them. And, and these people have been tormented and tortured. And often people regard them and sometimes even their own family members as people who are crazy, who are daft who shouldn't be believed because they're just not connected with reality. And so mental illness is absolutely a thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not competent to diagnose mental illness. I'm not a psychiatrist or, or a psychologist or a doctor. However, I can diagnose the presence of evil. And they're going to be very different manifestations than a physical or mental illness. That being said, that being said, it is not an either or situation. One can have mental illness and can be demonically oppressed. Mm. So because someone is diagnosed with mental illness, it does not mean that, oh, because of that, the devil's not interested in them. (laughs) That's In fact, Mm -hmm. he's going to be more interested in them because... Like an animal that is sick, just as the pack of lions goes after that animal. Why? Because that animal is the easiest to catch. Mm. The animal's already wounded. And so the animal's already a target by that fact. So that love of the individual is what gives the motive and all of the other things that are needed to the exorcist, the patients, for example, because sometimes the process 
of mm-hmm. gathering information and making a diagnosis is painstaking. It's not a quick thing. It, it, it's not an effort of of kind of telepathy, you know, with just through a straight mental knowledge, okay, I intuit the devil is in front of me, not at all. There have to be signs, those signs are objective, that anybody with a rational mind will have to conclude that nothing in the natural realm could cause this. And there are specific criteria that we follow. So, Father Martins, can you take us through what actually goes into an exorcism? How does it work? So maybe let's take maybe half a step back. So rather than starting with the actual exorcism, uh, what do we need to establish so that we know the presence of a demon is there? Uh, And the church identifies three classical criteria that point to a reality that is beyond the realm of nature. We call it preternature, which literally means in Latin, outside the natural. One is knowledge of the hidden. So within the victim, within the person who is being diagnosed, a knowledge of facts that he or she could not possibly know, such as, for example, if that person all of a sudden started to recite facts of your life, what happened on your 11th birthday, conversation that you had with your best friend last night in Seattle, Washington, before you flew to wherever you are here. Mm -hmm. So there's no way in the natural realm that this individual on the spot could come up with that knowledge, all right? Secondly, the facility, the ability to speak in foreign languages with ease. Mm -hmm. We're talking about speaking with facility, with perfect grammar, the ability to answer and to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, is superhuman strength, strength that is beyond the ability of the natural, and anything else that might be related to that. So, for example, something we might call possessed gravity, whereas a petite individual, such as whom we're going to talk about, Annalise Michelle, mm-hmm. who weighed somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 130, 140 pounds, uh, that her stout boyfriend at one point and a priest could not lift her. They couldn't budge her. So there was all of a sudden a, a weight to her body that was absolutely extraordinary. So we're, we're talking about signs that are impossible in nature. There have to be signs that the natural realm cannot account for. Mm-hmm. In the case of Annalise, Michelle, obviously we know that you know a lot about it. Can you tell us what you think actually happened there as far as the facts? Well, I, I think, uh, so first of all, what I will say is uh, Annalise, Michelle, her possession was very, very unique in the sense that her circumstances point to a particular reality whereby God was asking her to take on a suffering vicariously, a suffering for the sake of others, for the benefit of others. To phrase it in in kind of classical Catholic language, she was being asked to be a victim soul. 
she's not the only one in history that has had this. Uh, so we have a, a canonized saint, uh, St. Mary of Jesus Crucified, who was um, a Palestinian nun. She was born in Bethlehem. She is is called a holy demoniac. She was possessed not because of a particular sin that she had done, a particular action, but she was possessed for the sake of undergoing a suffering that would benefit the universal church, to benefit others. And the the proof of it is in the fact is that the demons didn't want to be inside her. The demons described as the one whom we serve, right? They never want to name God. They don't even want to say the word. And they absolutely will never say Jesus Christ, but they will refer to the one whom you serve or the carpenter from Nazareth Mm. or something like that. With regard to uh, St. Mary of Jesus crucified, the, the demons over and over repeated that they wanted to leave, but the one whom you serve will not let me. The same thing is in Annalise Michelle. The demons at first talked about them bringing her to hell. They talked about them having a plan for her. They enjoy, they love torturing her. And they would brag about yesterday we made her do this for three hours. And in other words, chasing her tail, uh, going kind of on a, on a, a nervous wild goose chase within her room. So she's pacing the room for hours with horrendous anxiety. They would brag about this. But as the exorcisms went on, that changed. So yes, Annalise Michelle had symptoms that were consistent with seizures. And this is what kind of began her medical treatment. And that's what began her parents taking her to the doctor, first the family doctor Mm -hmm. and then a neurologist, and she saw several neurologists, and she had I, at least seven EEGs in her life. All of them except one proved to be normal. One showed a slight abnormality in the left lobe. That might be consistent with normalcy. It might not be. In other words, it was inconclusive. The diagnosis of, of epilepsy was never one that was hard and fast. The doctor at her trial who insisted that that's what she had, he never saw her. So he's going by statements of other people. He's not going by direct firsthand knowledge. So whether or not Annalise Michelle had epilepsy, I don't know. I can't tell you. Her symptoms were consistent initially with seizures, but that was quickly, I'm not going to say replaced, but Alongside those things, the the seizures themselves, at a certain point, nobody would talk about them because they didn't appear to be evident. But what was evident was some of those preternatural signs, not not even some, an abundance of preternatural signs that that was impossible uh, for, for the cause of which to be from the natural. For example, she would know the exact time and place that her friend Thea would be praying for her. She accurately predicted when a priest, Father Roth, was going to come and visit her, although no one told her and even her family didn't know. And this is one of the things that that demons do. It's quite common. So especially an act that is threatening for them, like a priest is on his way right here, right now, 
and they will make a reference to it. And they'll usually attach something derogatory to it, right? They'll call him by some type of expletive, some, some type of scandalous word, and that's the manifestation of the threat that they feel. She, as I mentioned already, the evidence of the superhuman strength when she was in the gravity of possession, when she was in the hospital and, and Peter and the priest couldn't lift her, but she had at times the strength of a bear. So her friend Thea identified this, that she was throwing around men like they were ragdolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is a petite girl. I mean, she this, this is when she was already very close to her death. Uh, so this is a person who wouldn't have the strength to do such a thing. And then, of course, she had knowledge of unknown languages. So she at one point corrected the priest's Latin. He mispronounced something and the demon stopped. You've mispronounced that, you idiot. This is how you say it. And then he spoke to her in Dutch. Now, her native language is German. He spoke to her in Dutch, and she answered back in Dutch fluently. Now, Dutch and German, they're different languages, but there's a lot of similarities. And she, you know, if you live in Germany, you live close to Holland. So, okay, fair enough. But that priest was a missionary priest. He had lived in China. So he spoke to her in Chinese, and she answered in perfect Chinese. Wow. So, again, you know, exorcism entails its own science, a science of diagnosis. It's a hard diagnosis. It's one that we don't take lightly. And it's a diagnosis that any rational human being, even an atheist who is in the room and observes the phenomena, would have to conclude the same way that we do. Anything otherwise, it would be foreign to what our craft and and our nature, our science is. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Father Martins, you've said so much, and it makes sense because you your mind goes, you know, how would she 
be able to know Chinese and Dutch and all of these things by the age of 23. But then at the same time, you know, your mind thinks of everything that she's gone through as a child, you know, you know, having to wear black her whole life and, you know, not being able to socialize with children and then being on drugs. I mean, do you think that that could have contributed as well, you know, to her mental health? I don't believe any of those things are true. There's been a lot of ink spilled about the Annalise Michelle case. Mm. And a lot of that has been done by people that have absolutely no knowledge of the case. And some of them, they'll have some knowledge, but they'll stop at the very incomplete medical diagnoses that she received and the fact that she was given some antipsychotic or anti-convulsive medication. Uh, at first, it was strictly an anti-convulsive medication. For the seizures? Yeah, an anti-epilepsy medication. But those, those things do have effects on the mind. For one, they made her depressed. They made her slow, tired, and withdrawn. And, and it does that to anybody. But the point being that these drugs had absolutely no effect on the preternatural occurrences. And this is something that occurs all the time. If possession is an act by a preternatural enemy, why in heaven's name would it matter what drugs, what sedatives would be inside the victim's body? And in fact, I, I have a, a, a good friend of mine, Adam Bly, who, who is a demonologist and who is the, the bishop's expert on demonology and exorcism for the, dio the Catholic Diocese of Pittsburgh. He used to work in a prison. And when an inmate becomes violent, egregiously violent, what they will do is, is inject Thorazine into him to make him stop. Ten minutes after he's received an injection of Thorazine, he, he's on the floor drooling into his shoe. Mm. Right? In prison, Thorazine is called brake fluid. It just stops a human being, mm. period. You can inject a possessed person with Thorazine there will be absolutely no change in their behavior. And in fact, sometimes the demon will come back at you in a provocative way and say, oh, that felt good. Do you got any more? Right. So we're talking about two different realities. I would like to ask, you did mention, you know, Father Alt and the other um, priest was Father Renz. Do you think that they did everything that they should have done? Or do you think it was taken too far? Sure. Yeah. So that's a really good question. Hmm. Um, and the answer to that is, I don't know because I wasn't there. Right. Certainly, I, I will say this, that if any of them believed, and, and they gave testimony to this, mm -hmm. if any of them believed that she was close to death, then they would have stopped. Okay. And they would have had her medicated. They would have had her institutionalized and forced fed if need be. Mm. Um, but you also have to remember that even in the case of force feeding, uh, we can force feed somebody who has a mental health issue. We can give them any number of tranquilizer sedatives, Thorazine, for example, mm -hmm. and force feed them. In the case of demonic possession, force feeding somebody is not necessarily an option. You can try. Now, in this case, it wasn't tried. 
because mm. they regarded, and so I mean the two priests, both parents, all th- you know, her three sisters, mm-hmm. none, and including her boyfriend Peter, her friend Thea, Maria Klug, her friend, and Anna Lippert. So nine individuals, uh, pardon me, eleven individuals. None of them believed that she was close to death. I see. So there is one more fact to look at, and that has to be thrown on the scale in the midst of all of this. That Annalise, when she was herself, predicted, in other words, during in states where the demon was not possessing, that she was going to be freed in July of that year, July of 1976. And isn't that when she passed away? That that is, she died on July yeah. the first. So she mm-hmm. she was given a knowledge, right? Allegedly by the Blessed Virgin. This was testified to by her friends and by her family members, over and over that she had repeated this. The demons, as well, in the course of the exorcisms, also stated that we are finished by July. In July, our reign comes to an end. So on the morning of July the 1st, she's dead in her bed Hmm. in the morning. Now, uh, the prophecy was true. (laughs) She she was free, uh, but she died. She she was diagnosed as having died of malnutrition. Uh, I believe that medical diagnosis, it's not up to Mm -hmm. me to question that. I I take that at face value. Um, Would I have continued with the exorcisms if her health was in danger? No. That being said, I believe these 11 rational people, when they say they were not aware that she, that she was in danger, in life-threatening danger because of her condition. Uh, I think in, in that sense, the, the fact that none of these people, 11 people, None of them raised that question or had that concern. I think that has to be taken into account because we weren't there. Mm. I think about what you do, right, Father Martins, when you go into someone's home and you know they've called you in because they believe what they believe has happened to their their child or you know whomever it may be. When you go in, there has to be that element of that supernatural that is happening in order for you to do an exorcism, right? Instead of saying this is for the doctors. Again, I I don't want to take anything away from the doctors who made their diagnoses. They were rational men and they're applying their science and I applaud them for it. Um, I I do Mm -hmm. have, I, I do take issue with the doctor at her trial who gave her a diagnosis of epilepsy and stated that that was the cause of the problem when he had never met with her and diagnosed her. And and so he's taking his facts on hearsay and maybe EEGs that others did, which showed nothing anyway. Mm -hmm. So the fact that the medical profession, multiple doctors had a crack at Annalise 
but we're never able to provide a diagnosis that we're able to explain all of the facts and phenomena that came from her that were seen by numerous people, then I think we have to go somewhere else. The good science demands that we go uh, to, to another explanation. On Facing Evil, we always try to find the light in the dark. I am curious, Father, what do you see as the light in the dark in Annalise's case? Sure. You know, so with Annalise, one of the phenomena that is present is her grave is visited by hundreds, if not thousands of pilgrims a year. In other words, there's this kind of what we call in the Catholic Church an, an odor of sanctity, a smell of holiness that has been left behind. And This is an odor that the church talks about the saints leaving, and people are attracted to that quote-unquote odor. But people are attracted to the the person of Annalise Michelle, that there is all the signs that the Holy Spirit has instilled within people an instinct that, that she lived a saintly life and that she is with the Lord in heaven. Father, we really appreciate that thought. It's so nice to hear that even though Annalise faced a lot of difficulty in her life, that her grave is visited by thousands of people and she is still remembered. Yes, indeed. Mahalo nui loa. Thank you so much for joining us today, Father Martins. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. For today's message of hope and healing, our Imua goes out to Annalise Michelle. We will never know the true extent of Annalise's mental illness, but we do know that she did struggle during a time where treatments for conditions like hers were incredibly limited. And people struggling with mental health often feel so disconnected from those around them and so misunderstood. And although things are better now than they once were, many people still experience a sense of stigma and shame around their illness. If you are in a crisis, there is help available. You can reach the U.S. Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. Annalise Michelle was more than just a spooky story. She was a young woman who'd once been a student teacher. Some part of her likely harbored dreams of the future outside of the nightmarish world that increasingly engulfed her. And so today we send hope and healing to Annalise and to others who have found themselves in similar circumstances. Onward and upward, Imua. Imua. Well, that's our show for today. We'd love to hear what you thought about today's discussion and if there's a case you'd like for us to cover. Find us on social media or email us at facingevilpod at tenderfoot.tv. And one small request, if you haven't already, please find us on iTunes and give us a good rating and a good review if you like what we do. Your support is always cherished. Until next time, aloha. Facing Evil is a production of iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. 
The show is hosted by Rasha Pecorero and Yvette Gentile. Matt Frederick and Alex Williams are executive producers on behalf of iHeartRadio, with producers Trevor Young and Jesse Funk. Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay are executive producers on behalf of Tenderfoot TV, alongside producer Tracy Kaplan. Our researcher is Carolyn Talmadge. Original music by Makeup and Vanity Set. Find us on social media or email us at facingevilpod at tenderfoot.tv. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio or Tenderfoot TV, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. What if we told you about a major breakthrough on awesome savings on all-inclusive beach vacays? OMG, this could break the case. Case? I'm talking about CheapCaribbean.com. It's full of hot savings. At CheapCaribbean.com, score an extra $175 off site-wide on vacations of four nights or more now through June 3rd. Swim up bar in Punta Cana or dip your toes in the sand on the shores of Cancun. We gotta take this show on the road. Start at CheapCaribbean.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.